Our gospel lesson for this morning will serve as the basis for our children's devotion and our sermon. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you. Raise your hand if you know what anchovies are. For the rest of you, I'm going to teach you. Anchovies are like little fish, kind of like the size of minnows, that have been cured in salt. They're super-duper salty, and they're super-duper fishy, and some people like to put them on pizza, but most people think that's disgusting. So what I want you to imagine is this huge pizza bar. There's just all this pizza. And all of it has anchovies, except for one cheese pizza. There is one big, beautiful pizza with nothing but red tomato sauce and mozzarella cheese. It's cooked to perfection. Big cheese pizza. And every other pizza has anchovies and mushrooms and onions and olives and green peppers and all this gross stuff. Now, there's a huge line. Would you rather be at the front of the line or at the back of the line? I'm guessing that you'd rather be at the front if you're honest, right? Because if you're at the front of the line, you could get that cheese pizza if that's what you want. But if you're at the back of the line, most of the people are probably going to take the cheese and you're going to be stuck with the worst pizza there. Deep down inside of us, there's this little part that really wants to be first. And it might be for different reasons on different days. But we almost always want to be first in line, not, not last. If we're first, that means we get what we want. If we're last, we might not get what we want. If we're first, that probably means we deserve to be first. And if we're at the back of the line, maybe we did something wrong and we deserve to be last. Deep down, we want to be first. We want to think that we're the best. We don't want to be last. But today Jesus tells us that people who think they're first or who think they should be first are probably going to be last. And people who think they're last are probably going to be first. And he's talking about getting into heaven. 
People who think that they're really good people and that they're probably first in line to get into heaven, and there's all these bad people behind them who probably shouldn't go to heaven. Jesus says, ah, those people who think they're getting in because they're pretty good, they might not get in at all. They're going to be at the back of the line. And the people who think they're really, really bad and who think that they don't deserve to go to heaven at all, who are at the back of the line, they're probably at the first and they're going to get into heaven first. Today, Jesus is going to teach us a really hard truth. He's going to teach us that we need to give up everything that we are and everything that we have. The things about ourselves that we love the most, that we think make us the best, we got to get rid of those things if we want to get into heaven. Today, Jesus is going to teach us a hard truth that the first are last and the last are first. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for telling us the truth. We thank you for loving us enough to be honest with us and tell us the truth even when it's hard to hear. We thank you for showing us our sinfulness, how serious it is, how we cannot come to heaven with our sin. We can't even come to heaven with the things that we think make us the best. The only way we can get to heaven is because of you, because of your sacrifice for us, because of what you have done sacrificing everything you had and everything that you are so that we could be forgiven and get into heaven with you. Help us to listen to your hard truth today. Help us to appreciate your love for us shown even in challenging teachings like this. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you had a theological question, a deep need to better understand what the scriptures taught, well, you couldn't ask anyone better than Jesus. And so we can't fault this guy in our gospel lesson who goes to Jesus with a deep question. He's going to the right place. He's asking the right question. Person, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? This particular section of Luke's gospel begins with another note that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. We've been talking about that here for quite a while these last few weeks. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem where he is set on winning salvation for the the whole world. But on his way, he's weaving through the towns and villages. He's making sure to, to get to as many towns and villages as he can, teaching along the way. And we're told while he's teaching, that's when this person asks this question. This is not one of those sections where we can just go read the things that Jesus taught in the previous section and say, oh, the question flows from these teachings. We're not told exactly what Jesus was taught here. We're just told he was teaching. And this is the question that was raised. And so we have to do a little speculation based on the nature of the question. And all we could do is guess as to exactly what Jesus was teaching. But it's not that hard to guess because this is a question of concern. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Whatever Jesus was teaching had led him to to say, wait a minute, this sounds hard. It's starting to sound like there's not a whole lot of people who are going to get into heaven at all. Lord, are are only a a few going to be saved? 
Maybe Jesus was teaching hard things like he did in Matthew 19 where he talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, easier for a a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Whatever it was, this guy is concerned. It's a question that maybe you've wondered from time to time. Maybe you're looking at your, your kids that God has blessed you with or, or grandchildren or, or your, your friend's circle and maybe you've looked at that group of people who seem to have wandered away from God and thought to yourself, are, are only a few of these people I love and care for going to be saved? This is not one of those contexts like an elementary school classroom where there's a big sign above the board that says there's no such thing as a bad question. Jesus Jesus makes it pretty clear that this is not the right question. It's not a good question for anyone to ask because it's a question that deflects away from self. Jesus' response to this man could be summarized by saying, don't worry about them, worry about yourself. Are only a few of those people going to be saved? That's the wrong question. Are you going to be saved? That's the only question that that matters. Listen again to all the times Jesus uses the word you, starting with the command, which is a you command. He says to this person, you make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will enter, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. What's Jesus' point? Don't worry about them until you're sure about yourself. Are you going to be saved? So let's just wrestle with that command that he gives a little bit. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. The Greek word that Jesus uses here is agonizomai. You hear our English word agonize. In it, agonizomai. It means to struggle with every fiber of your being. Uh, Best illustration I could dream up was an Olympic athlete who's training for the 100-meter dash. At least four years of training going into what? A race that will be over in 10 seconds. Can you imagine that? Spend four years of your life for 10 seconds. I could never do that. I, I respect the people who do. But I think that would be a good example of agonizomai. Straining with every ounce of strength that you have for one specific purpose, four years for 10 seconds. Jesus is saying you make every effort, you wriggle, you writhe, you strain, you agonize, you struggle with every fiber of your being to make it through this narrow door. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. 
If a man should enter through me, he will be saved. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear in the rest of Scripture that he's the the way into heaven, the gate, the path. So he is the narrow door. The new piece of information here is that the door is very narrow. Martin Luther wrote on this once, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, but he said, the, the narrow door is narrow because it's faith in Christ alone, faith which clings to, to Jesus alone because it's so narrow you can't bring anything else with you. You can't bring any of your sins. They won't fit. You can't even bring any of your good stuff. They won't fit either. You've got to get rid of it all and enter only with Christ. And that idea of not being able to bring anything with us drives us nuts. It drives that sinful nature, the worst part of us, crazy. Because we think to ourselves, well, what about all this good stuff that I've been doing, all the sacrifices I've been making? I've been striving to serve you, Lord. I've been serving people who need me and don't even know it. I've been serving people who need me and never say thank you. I've served my children. I've served my spouse. I've served my elderly parents. I've served my neighbor. I've served my coworkers. I've sacrificed so much. So much time. I've been volunteering like crazy for you, Lord. I got this heritage. I got these people in my family, great people. My mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, they would take me to church and taught me the right things and they always volunteered and we gave money and have you heard this singing voice of mine? It's a really good singing voice and I've sung in choir for you and I've, I've praised you and you mean I can't bring any of this stuff to lay it at your feet and get the rewards that I deserve? And Jesus says, no, you can't have any of it. You can't bring any of it. It won't fit. The door's too narrow. None of your good stuff, none of your bad stuff, none of it can come through. And it has to be that way. We have this tendency of continually forgetting just how bad we are, deflecting it, getting rid of the thoughts. We live in a world where the devil has, has brought out this, this relatively new and, and very creative way of getting people to, to no longer consider how bad they are. He, he basically just took the, the creator out of the equation. Well, if we could take the creator, who's the only one who has the right to set the rules, the standard, so to speak, if we just remove the creator from the equation, then the standard is gone as well. So you have all these people that you're living with in the world who no longer are operating by God's standard because they don't believe that there's a God who created the world who gets to make the rules and impose on them absolute right and absolute wrong. We've all evolved. There is no creator, they would say. And if there's no creator, there's no standard. And so you do you, I'll do me. Whatever's right for you is right for you, and whatever's right for me is right for me. They're removing the objectivity, the absolute right and absolute wrong. They don't have to think about how bad they are anymore because they're playing by a new set of rules. And you might say, well, I don't believe that. I hope that's true. But you're impacted by it. You're impacted by all the people around you who don't think they're that bad. 
And it's easy for you and me to do the same thing, to start thinking, well, I'm not that bad. And I'm certainly better than all these immoral people around me who are living their lives not according to God's rules. Well, here I am living my, lives according, my life according to God's rules. It's very easy for us to start thinking very highly of ourselves and to forget how absolutely wicked we actually are. The gospel here is that there is a door. There really shouldn't be one. Not for you and not for me. There should be no way for us, wicked, sinful scum, to get into heaven. It should not be this way. There there should be no door. Forget what you can bring with you. There, there, There shouldn't be a way for us to get into heaven, but there is. And that right there shows you how much God loves you. You want to talk about a reversal, the first being last and the last being first. The first. The God who has always existed and will always exist, who is infinitely powerful and infinitely wise, present everywhere all the time. He is first. And he made himself last, born in a barn, born under the standard that he holds you and me accountable to. He took on flesh and became the poorest of the poor. Talk about the first becoming last. And from the moment he lived under that absolute standard of God's created law, he instantly jumped to the front of the line. You know why? Because he started doing it better than us from the moment he took his first breath. He never once failed and he stayed at the front of the line, the best of humanity, every single moment of his life, every single day of his life. And then he did the reversal again. The first, the perfect son of God who never sinned switched with us, the scum of the earth, and became last and suffered our hell, suffered our death on the cross so that you and I could go to the front of the line so we could be first. And then great reversal again, the dead man came to life. And that means everything in relation to this door Because if Jesus isn't alive, what could possibly be on the other side of the door that would matter? Because if death hasn't been defeated, if the existence on the other side of that door is just going to end in death like this one, what's the point? Jesus' resurrection means everything. Because the fact that he has defeated death means that what's on the other side of that door will never end in death. We will live forever with him. Why does he give us this command? Ta'aganitzomai through the door. Why is he saying to you and to me, struggle, wriggle, writhe, make every effort to get through this tiny little door? It doesn't sound like we can do anything anyway. Friends, this is called repentance. It's something that God must do in us. But because God works it in us, then we, having been enabled by the Lord, are the ones doing it. But even this is God. He comes to us in his word and he reminds us just how wicked we are, just how awful we are, just how much we deserve hell. That brings us to see all the garbage that we can't bring through the door. 
Then he turns us to see Jesus and all that he's done for us, switching places with us, how all of our sinful baggage has been removed, even our best efforts gone forever, and now all of a sudden we look like Jesus. And then he gives us the strength to serve him. The gate is Jesus. He has made the gateway into heaven. There's this Jesus-sized door that fits him just perfectly. And the only way through is to look just like him. And through repentance, this is what God does to you and to me. He gets rid of all the sin. He gets rid of all your best efforts. And he makes you look like Jesus. There's these terrifying things that Jesus says to the man who asks the question. All these yous, I I didn't know you. And the people who say, we ate with you, you taught in our streets. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Away from me, you wicked people. But then there's this really beautiful phrase at the end. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. See the beauty in the future tense. Will take. And those people are the people who look like Jesus. Those people who will come from north and south and east and west, they're not people with a, a family legacy. They're not people who, who had their name on the roster at a church on earth. They're people who look like Jesus. They're people like you and me who have been shown how wicked we really are, who have been taught to rely on Christ and on Christ alone. There are people, they are people like us who have been made to look just like Jesus. And by God's grace, that's you. You are the people who will take your place from the east and and from the west at the feast in the kingdom of God because you, my friends, You look like Jesus. You will enter through the narrow door. Amen.